Welcome to the 10 and 2 podcast. I'm Kat. And I'm Catlin. And we're here every week talking watches, photography, adventure, and exploring the world of horology. How's it going? It's going good. We have a fun episode today. We have another guest, and I love when we have guests. Not that I I don't love talking to you. No, but it's just, to be fair, like, we talk for like 10 hours and then record a podcast. So sometimes it's fun when there's a guest on because we don't really know... First of all, we have no notes when we have guests on. Mm-mm. Not There's not one piece of paper, nothing written down. We say every time that we're going to do some research and we're going to have some questions, but we never do that. And I, well, the thing is, like, so we used to do that in the past. Mm-hmm. We used to have all these questions down. And I think sometimes it takes away from the reality of the conversation that you're actually yeah. having. And you, you get really worried about, oh, I haven't asked this question yet. And you don't need to. You just take the conversation where it yeah. goes. Well, it's a conversation. It's not an interview. Exactly. And that's, I think that that's where we've, we've kind of differentiated ourselves, I guess. I don't know. It's fun (laughs) to not have it be a sit down formal interview. First of all, that's not us. Like we're, we're lounging on a, on a sofa, like Mm -hmm. in blue jeans and a t-shirt and ponytails and like just chilling. So to be able to just sit around and have a conversation is definitely where we, we like to keep things, I think. No, I think it works well and it works for us. Don't fix something that's not broke. Exactly. <laughs> and if it is broke, don't tell us because we yeah. like it this way. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys suck. <laughs> Your interviews suck. <laughs> no, but today, uh, today we were we were so blessed. We got to talk to Dexter Wimberly, who, if you don't know, he is an entrepreneur. He's also a um, an independent art curator who is now the, I believe he is like the... Um, the senior critic at the New York Academy of mm-hmm. Art, yep. and just just an incredible person, very intelligent, um, and has a great story about how he got into watches. and And I love hearing that. I love, and it, it's recent. You know, yeah. it's not like he's been into watches for years and years and years. It, it's something that is kind of a recent story. and And we haven't really, you know, I don't know. I guess we haven't really interviewed someone with that kind of backstory behind him. Right. So um, it was really fun, and we had a great time. And you, you're, you're, you know, he's in Japan right now, and so uh, you'll hear the uh, the lovely cicadas behind him. It was very, very moody. I loved it. I loved it. It was, it was great. But it was a great chat. It was a very fun chat. I'm very glad that we've got him on the show. Yeah. He's been a listener of the podcast for a while. Yes. So I'm glad that we were finally able to arrange having him on the show to talk about, you know, talk a lot about watches, talk a little bit about his history and art and how like that kind of ties in with his love of watches. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a really, it, most importantly, it was just a fun chat. Yeah. We were just sitting, sitting down with a friend talking. Yeah. And that, that's what I love. That's yeah. what I love about doing this. So um, we hope that you guys enjoy if, if you love, love this episode even if you just kind of liked it head over to itunes and leave us a review uh it does it helps our podcast a lot it helps people find us a little bit easier and uh, it helps us grow too so we always appreciate it and uh, we love hearing feedback from you get on instagram when we when we do the episode post let us know what you think i I love hearing feedback from you guys so sure and speaking of instagram be sure that you're following us along over on instagram facebook twitter at 10 and 2 media and guys head over to the website after this if you want to look up any of the particular information about some of the watches we talked about or want to see, you know, kind of explore a little bit more about Dexter and what he's been up to, mm-hmm. head over to the show notes because those will be available. And that's www.tennn2.com. Enjoy, y'all. Enjoy. 
Um, hey, Dexter, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you uh, being on. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm just starting my day. I, uh, I woke up a couple of hours ago and uh, I jumped right into a call. Um, so I've been I've been moving nonstop since 6 a.m. local time. Yeah. And where and where are you? So our listeners know. Pardon me? I said, where are you uh, located? So our listeners know where you are. Oh, sure. So uh, I'm I'm living in Hayama, Japan. I, I moved here in May. I've been uh, living in New Jersey for a few years. I'm originally from New York City, born and raised in Brooklyn, actually. Oh, cool. Um, but as but as my family grew, we moved to New Jersey in 2016. And uh, my wife is Japanese, so we've been traveling back and forth between the United States and Japan for about almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we made the decision to move here um, earlier this year. Wow, that's such a big change, I bet. Oh, it's huge. Um, the difference between um, where I am and, and, and where I was living in New Jersey is so profound. It's hard to even put into words. Um, you know, things just move at a different pace and things work differently. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, I've always been fascinated. And, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, I guess it, a lot of it is obviously the culture, but like you said, there, there's a pace change in how people live and and how they do things. And I feel like here it's and and it may be that way. There, it's you know very work oriented. Everybody just works until they can't work anymore. And right. do you feel like it's that way there as well? Well, um, I would say it's probably true for some of the bigger cities like Tokyo, Yokohama, mm-hmm. or Osaka. But Hayama, where I live, um, is about an hour and a half. Uh, from Tokyo, um, maybe a little less, depending on how fast you drive. And um, there are only 33,000 people in this town. So it's quite, quite, quite a small place. And it also happens to be where a lot of people from the larger cities come to vacation or, or sort of have, if if they're fortunate enough to have a second home, they may have a second home here. In fact, the, uh, the emperor of Japan's uh, summer villa is about 10 minutes away from where I am right. That's so awesome. Nice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And so your kids, um, I guess they they go to school and everything there, or do you guys try to homeschool them? So um, like millions of other uh, parents who tried to deal with the past year and a half, uh, mm-hmm. our kids were, were on, you know, online for school yeah. for about, um, I'd say about six months from from the time we got back from Japan last year, being in New Jersey, they were just doing online schooling. One of the compelling reasons for us to come here was that we could actually put them in school. Okay. Yeah. So, so they've been going to school in person for two months now. Okay. Oh, wow. wow. And do they, I, I'm just kind of curious, do they take a summer break or do they go all like throughout the year? So they're technically on summer break now, but my uh, my three year old and my uh, five year old they um, they're in half day school, um, and my six year old he's in you know he's in official break, but he goes back in a couple of weeks. The break is very very short, yeah. which is excellent. It's excellent. It's such, <laughs> such a, it's a it's an extremely short break, um, and um, and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. So, um, and they and then they move at a different a different schedule because. Um, so, so right now it's the end of July. Um, they'll go back to school full time in a couple of weeks, and they'll just be in school through, you know, through next yeah, year. Nice. Um, so it's not, it's not like, it's not like when I grew, I grew up, you know, you were just looking forward to June twenty first <laughs> or something. 
And then you didn't go back to school for months. Yeah, yeah. I know. We were just talking about that. Because even here, the it seems like a lot of the schools have gone to a shorter summer break. Yeah, it's like two and months. And we had like three months. Yeah. It was like almost three months when we were younger. And it's just insane. Um, yeah, the summers were so long. I kind of feel I kind of feel bad for those kids. Like it's that hard. Kid. But also, I'm a parent of one child. So for me, like I love summer. Like it's fun with when you have one kid. But when you have... Yeah. Four kids, especially young children, I can imagine like a short break would probably be nice. <laughs> oh, especially especially after last year. I mean, oh yeah, um, when you're on top of each other all day, every day, like you just it would be exhausting. Yeah, I don't totally, know how anybody totally. got any work done. It's amazing, <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, so Dexter, for for some of our listeners who may not be super familiar with you, you were on Hodinky Radio. You know, we we've heard you around a few a few different places. Um, but so, why don't you introduce yourself and, and who you are, how you're in this hobby, like what you do? Because I feel like that's something we'll dive into a little bit more. Is how like your connection with your real job uh, in your real world life, I guess, intersects <laughs> with, with like this weird watch life that we all have. So. Absolutely. So it's it's interesting. Uh, if 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 I think back to um, like my first connection with watches, it, it's in some ways it does kind of dovetail to what I do professionally. Oh, yeah. Really? Okay. There's a, there's a there is an odd connection there. So um, so professionally, um, m- most of the people who I do business with on a daily basis probably consider me to be a curator, mm-hmm. uh, contemporary art curator, which is something I've been doing for 15 years, working with museums and galleries around the world. And I've had the privilege of, of working with hundreds of artists at different stages of their career, in some cases, giving them their first opportunity to have an exhibition ever, wow. or in, in some more ambitious cases, um, organizing their first major museum solo exhibition. Um, this, this is work that I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, that is directly tied to uh, my philosophy about helping um, people uh, bring their their ideas to fruition and helping people advance their careers. Um, I have been um, an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. Um, When I was uh, just out of college, I started a a marketing and PR agency in New York City in 1995 that I ran for about 13 years and and worked with a ton of great companies like um, Adidas America and Coca-Cola and Time Warner. Um, And while I was doing that work, I was meeting so many um, creative people who happened to also be artists, Mm -hmm. uh, but but they never introduced themselves as artists. It was like, hey, I'm Jane Doe. I'm a graphic designer. Let me do a logo (laughs) for your client. And then you get to know Jane Doe a bit more and you realize that, oh, she has an MFA in painting from RISD (laughs) or Otis or something, but she's not painting. She's not painting because, you know, painting doesn't pay the bills, so they say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, I started um, becoming more and more interested in the art world while I was still in the marketing and advertising and PR world. Okay. And so there was a little bit of an overlap there. Um, the reason I say that this kind of connects to my, um, you know, my affinity for watches is that uh, 22 years ago, I know it's so funny, I don't feel that old. <laughs> Tw- 22 years ago, I bought a, a, a Rolex um um, Oyster Perpetual yeah. from from Turneau on the corner of 7th Avenue and 34th Street as a way of bringing in the millennium. Right? Oh, that's okay. cool. It was like, nice. Right. Um, and, uh, and that watch, which, you know, um, I don't still have the watch. You know, I, oftentimes people say that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, I wish, I wish I'd held on to it. I really, <laughs> really do. Um, 
you know, it only cost me, I mean, you know, in two in year two thousand dollars, the watch only cost me about seventeen hundred bucks. Jeez. Sort of oh like my god. Strange. Man. Brand brand new from Tourneau. Yeah. And you were able to walk into the store and get it. Like Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you probably didn't have total. to spend sixty thousand dollars on jewelry that you didn't even really want. <laughs> not, not, a, not at all. It was crazy. It, you know. They were, they were trying to throw the watch at me. I mean, you know. So. <laughs> they probably discounted it. Like, it was this whole other world back then. And I, w- I wore that watch for years. And uh, and what I realized is that it just brought me a certain amount of joy to have this. Um, I, I would kind of call it a totem to my to my progress as a young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back, back then, I was still relatively young. Um, you know, I was still in my late 20s, actually. So to be in a position to, you know, to purchase something like that using my own money um, was, was was meaningful to me. Mm-hmm, um, and absolutely. it wasn't just the, the financial implications of it, but who didn't want a Rolex? I mean, yeah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it had diamond markers, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not it's, it's not the watch I would buy today. Right. Yeah. Um, although I, I wish I still had it. Yeah. You know, but isn't that um, what made Rolex special back in the day was that I feel like it's kind of gone away from that now, but Rolex was the watch that you get it like to, you know, memorialize a, an event in your life or, mm-hmm. you know, something special, a graduation or birthday, uh, you know, an anniversary or you're, you know, retiring. And I kind of love that story behind Rolex. And it, it has kind of, I mean, gotten away from that because now if you wanted to celebrate, you, you'd have to wait two years just to get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's really cool. That's a great story. Yeah. I have some, I have some, some more to share about that too, yeah. you know, um, because um, like, like everyone who's into this hobby, um, at varying degrees, I know. I mean, some of us are completely rabid and we probably <laughs> need, and we probably need help. Um, you know, I, I, I listen to tons of, uh, you know, commentary on YouTube and other places around, you know, around watches. Yeah. And obviously Rolex is the, is the topic that love it or hate it is, is always talked about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I have a very specific philosophy about it. And, and I think that, you know, people who sort of berate Rolex have every right in the world to feel the way that they feel about it. But it's a brand that earned its position. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's it's not as if, um, you know, Rolex kind of came out of nowhere in the past 10 years and usurped all of these brands who have been grinding it out. You know, all of these independents kind of had their market share taken away from them by this behemoth that just kind of came in out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. um, it is, in fact, Rolex's success that inspired hundreds of people to even start businesses connected to the art world, yeah. um, to, sorry, to the watch world, yeah. to the art world. Little Freudian slip there um, <laughs> to, to, to the watch world. And um, and I think that people should recognize um, that it's that company's success that has opened the door for so many of us mm-hmm. as a point of entry into this hobby. Now, that said, they are not um, immune to criticism. Yeah. Um, I don't obviously want this conversation to just be about that brand. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but I have a, I have a tremendous love. I'll go on the record. I have a tremendous love for Rolex as a brand. Yeah. Um, it is not the brand that I love the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will not, um, I will not sugarcoat it and I won't, <laughs> and I, and I, and I won't, and I won't 
um, sort of be afraid of people being critical of me because yeah. of my opinion, because it is in fact my opinion. Yeah. 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 I'm right there with you. I agree. That's, those are great points. Uh, and I think oh, Rolex being a, you know, an entry point for a lot of people is very true. And, and something else interesting is that Rolex is now, um, a gateway into other people discovering other, other brands, brands, which, which is, a, which is can. a good thing. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing. Like, cause People know the name Rolex, and if you if you go in, you can't get one. You're like, okay, well, what else is there around this price point? You start looking at brands like Grand Seiko and Zenith and some of these other ones that you wouldn't necessarily know of before. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a cool thing, and it's the circle of life. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I love that philosophy, um, Dexter. That's really cool. Um, yeah, no, and I, um, sorry, no, no, go no, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah, you know, and I and I and I think that. Um, there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, you know, demystifying, I think, about the process that is warranted, demystifying about the, the buying process. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, as we as we were talking about a little while ago. So right now I'm wearing a, um, a, a Rolex sub and I know like I can feel the eyes rolling around <laughs> the wall when I say that. Um, you know, so I'm wearing a, you know, 18 karat gold Rolex up. It, you know, it's, it's a 2020 model, like 116618 LB. And it, so this is before they changed, you know, updated and made it 41 millimeters and changed yeah. the movement mm-hmm. a bit. Right. But this is the watch, you know, that I wanted. So I got the one that I wanted. When I went out looking for this watch in New York City, I went to quite a few ADs. Um, so, you know, I don't know if, you know, mentioning brands matters or not, but, you know, no. I did the tourneau. I went to, I went to watches of Switzerland. I, you know, I went to, you know, the big boys, you yeah. know, the places that you would ex- expect to go. And no one had one, of course, right? Like, of course. They probably <laughs> um, rolled their eyes when you came in and you were like, hey, <laughs> you got any of those Submariners in the back? <laughs> <laughs> but but I left but I left my name with uh, with three ADs, mm-hmm. right? Um, and um, after I purchased the watch that I'm wearing, I, I actually ended up buying it from um, a retailer in California, actually. Um, cause you know, uh, the internet, Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, after, so after I bought my watch about three weeks later, I got phone calls from these ADs in New York saying to me, we have the watch in, do you want the watch? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so I only bring that up to say everyone's experience is different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, had I, had I not found this watch on the West coast, I would have had two opportunities to buy it in New York city and it would have been the 2021. It would have been the newer model. Yeah. So again, I know that the demand for steel sports models is, you know, outpacing the demand for gold yeah. for, for price reasons, taste reasons, yeah. you know, other, re- other reasons. Um, however, um, I'm here to say officially that I was able to walk into an AD in New York City, <laughs> ask for a Rolex sub, um, leave my name, and get a phone call back in about six weeks. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. So, so it happens. It does. Yeah, it does. I feel like people get very discouraged very easily about it. And it's very easy to roll your eyes and, and just assume the absolute worst. But but it genuinely does happen. People get these calls and, you know, I feel like it, it's easy to focus on the negative. Um, but then, I mean, when it happens, there, there's something, there's so much joy to it. I remember when you got, you know, the call for your sub, like how happy you were and excited. And like it, it, there's something special to it. And, yeah, you may not be able to get it to mark that special occasion, but you can still kind of get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because you've been in art for so long. Is there any similarity, like, between the the absolute 
almost overnight increase in demand for for things like stainless steel sports bottles, be it Rolex, AP, whatever. Is there anything that you see in the art world that kind of is very similar where there's just this absolute insane demand and like these crazy wait lists and things like that or or just like this huge hype around anything? I think the similarities are Stark. Okay. There, there, there is such a tremendous um, amount of uh, similarities between oh, wow. uh, the way the art world functions and the way um, my experience with the watch world has been. Okay. Um, what's What's really interesting is that I could refer to um, you know sort of the the watch world as an artificial economy. I could also refer to the art world as an artificial economy. But then as I think through that statement, I realized that all economies are artificial. So, uh, so, so to say that is not really to say much. Um, but, but my point in, in referring to them as artificial economies is to say that you have uh, the buy side and the sale, sale side, right? And you have people on either side of these two, um, you know, sort of uh, this, this coin and who are really driving all, everything that happens around price. And I think in the art world, um, just to kind of give you a little bit of insight into the art world for, for those who are curious or don't know, yeah, um, I'm oversimplifying something, but for the sake of time, I'll oversimplify. When when an artist, um, you know, enters the art scene and and they they become a known entity, they're just that. Let's say they're just out of school, they've graduated from a prestigious MFA program, um, they get scooped up by a gallery, and and believe me, I know many artists never get. Scooped scooped up by galleries. So mm-hmm. I'm just giving it, I'm giving you a broad, <laughs> a broad overview here. Okay. An artist graduates from a great school. They get scooped up by a gallery. The gallery now represents them. What the gallery has to do is to establish a market for the artist. Okay. And in, and in establishing that market, um, the few things that come, that come into play, one of those is, uh, you know, uh, price. Like wh- what are they going to sell this, you know, 25 year olds paintings for? Right? Yeah. Um, and, and once they determine that, which is usually based on a combination of, uh, prestige and demand, right? So if, if the artist is coming from a very prestigious school and has maybe gone through some prestigious residencies, um, and there's buzz about them, that adds a bit of a halo around their, their Mm, artwork. mm -hmm. And if they're, and then if there's demand, if the gallery is receiving emails and phone calls regularly about the artist, well, then they know, well, we've got something here. So you have this 25-year-old who, say, uh, is making a painting that's uh, 48 by 48 inches. And then the gallery says, we're going to sell this painting for $35,000. That's that's going to be like your, your starting point for your work. And again, I'm generalizing here. Just right, to paint a of picture. course. So now you have this, this artist that most people have never heard of. Because guess what? Most people have never heard of any artist. I always like to remind <laughs> artists that, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're in this world that's really, really self-important. But guess what? Most people don't know who we are, what we're doing, or or even care. Right? That's just like the reality. And you could say the same thing about watches, right? Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. You get into a cab and start talking to the cab driver about, you know, <laughs> uh, a, a datagraph for, like, you know, um, you know the movement and, and some Cartier, and they'll look at you like you have two heads. You know, generally speaking, they don't know. Yeah. They don't care. It's not their world, which is understandable. Um, but so in the art world, which is like even more self, uh, you know, self-aware, I think, than even the watch world in, in some ways, um, there's this sort of like, uh, you know, th- this this game that has to be played around demand and price and prestige. And you see the same thing in the watch world. Right. So um, 
it's it's sort of like you you go and you you purchase an, an you know an AP uh, five years ago, and then all of a sudden there there are influential people um, out there on Instagram or or YouTube or other editorial platforms that mm-hmm. are saying that this particular model, this particular watch, is important yeah. for these reasons. And then all of a sudden, there's a halo around that watch, and it becomes more difficult to get. Mm-hmm. And the price balloons, um, and people start trying to hoard if they can. And there's all of these things. So the machinations around these things is it's quite similar. Because let's be clear, in both cases, we can all live without them, right? Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Absolutely. So, so has, yeah. Yeah. So there has to be a certain amount of. Um, uh, stage management and a certain amount of um, uh, marketing, even though it's a dirty word um, for a lot of people, it has to be a certain amount of marketing in play in order to drive demand. But what's more interesting to me um, uh, is how being in this this hobby has opened my eyes up to the mechanics of watches. Um, is has also opened my eyes up to the personalities out there, like meeting you two, um, you know, meeting other people that have, you know, dedicated significant amount of their time into, you know, talking um, to influencers and, and other people that are, you know, tan- you know, sort of like maybe they're tangential to the uh, to the watch world. Okay. But I think that um, what's been really rewarding to me is like meeting so many fascinating people. Yeah, I know. That's that's the part that that we love the most, you know, we say all the time, you know, it's not about the watches, it's about the people we get to meet. Yeah. Um, but I want to, I want to take a little bit of a back step here and back to the, to the OP that you bought. Um, you know, where, where did your journey go from there after that? Was that, I mean, you talked about that kind of being your entry point into, into watches a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's a be like a great entry point for, for a lot of people who are like, wow, an OP, that's a, <laughs> kind of a sweet, sweet entry point. I mean, I, I am kind of burying the reality that like most people who grew up in the 80s, I did have the requisite swatch. I mean, right. who didn't, mm-hmm. you know, who, who did, who didn't, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, I had, the, I had the random Timex thrown my way at some point during high school, you know, yeah. who yeah. didn't, you know, it's, it's sort of, these are these are things that you know I don't really uh, refer to because they weren't as formative, yeah, um, for me um, as as that that um, um, op purchase primarily because it was my money, yeah. Let <laughs> <laughs> you know to, to be honest, it's my money, so I just had a different re- relationship with it. So so I had that watch for a few years, and you know I wasn't as 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 deeply into um, this this hobby then. So when I decided I needed to free up some cash, you know, um, a few years later, I was like looking around and I said, oh, I have this watch and someone's willing to pay me a couple thousand dollars <laughs> for it. You know, that seemed like a sweet deal um, yeah. then, you know. So so I just decided, you know, I'd rather have the cash than the watch at that time. Yeah. You know, again, we're going all we're going all the way back now to, you know, we're talking like 2005 or something like that. Yeah. 2006. So, you know, the world hadn't fallen apart with like the housing crisis in 2008 and the economic crisis right. in 2008. So, you know, everyone was still riding high. And I, you know, I just felt like, oh, I'll sell this watch. I'll get another one in a couple of years. No big deal. Um, but after I sold that watch, um, I didn't actually have a watch for, for quite some time because um, like a lot of people who were in business in 2008, when things started getting really crazy with the U.S. economy, you know, buying a watch was the last thing on my mind. Right. You know, it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't wasn't something that uh, 
I was thinking about. I was really more concerned with like, you know, keeping keeping my company going and keeping a roof over my head, you know, yeah. just just like reality. And, um, you know, and at that time, my first son was born. Uh, he was so at that time he was around uh, four years old, about to turn five. So, again, priority shift and and what have you. And uh, and then like a lot of folks who just got their first smartphone you know, I was just enamored with looking at my phone for everything. Did you have a BlackBerry? Oh, I had it all. Every, <laughs> the razor, yeah. everything. I had all of those, all of those. In fact, in fact, at one point, at one point, I had a Ziploc bag that was sort of like my graveyard for bad tech. Oh, so I had, I, I had two Blackberries in there. I had a, a two-way pager. I had the Motorola Flip. I had the ra- I had all of those like phones. That, <laughs> I, had, I had a I had a couple of Ericsons in there. Oh yeah. Um, you know, like everything. You know, and it, none of them worked. You know, it's just like you you just buy these things because they were the hip thing to buy, and then every you know whatever. So, um, but as um, as I got a bit older and um, could sort of pace myself a bit differently, um, you know, I I started uh, just kind of like thinking about that watch again, and and and, and feeling I felt. If I'm going to be completely honest, I felt like I had uh, defeated myself by selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I felt I, I wouldn't say I was depressed about it. Um, that's not that's not true. But I wish I hadn't done it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And being the kind of person that I am, um, and I guess you're kind of finding out the kind of person I am now. <laughs> <laughs> um, being the kind of person that I am, it's all about like, okay, you did it once. If you're going to do it again. You got to do it better. Yeah. Right. You got to go hard. Got to go hard. Yeah. So at the time I was, uh, so 2009, 2010, I was reading Esquire's Big Black Book, which is like, you know, a magazine that Esquire published twice a year. Um, pretty expensive as far as magazines go, you know, yeah. like newsstand, newsstand price was somewhere between 10 and $15. So for a print magazine, right. you know, unless you're like in the industry, like why would you want to spend that much on a magazine? But yeah. for me, I loved it because it was just like, you know, beautiful pictures, um, you know, uh, great fashion, but also great watches. Yeah. So they were, they were covering watches in a really interesting way circa 2009, 2010. And I and I realized that one of the more compelling reasons that I wanted to make sure I never missed a copy was that I wanted to see their watch coverage. Mm, yeah. And then cool. and then and then one day in 2009, I'm flipping through the first the first issue of uh, of Esquire's Big Black Book, and I came to a page was an ad for the Rolex GMT. One one six seven one eight. That green anniversary dial, GMT. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I just, I just got obsessed. <laughs> I was, I was obsessed with that watch, and I, and I tore out the page of the magazine. And I literally put it on the wall and I said, "I'm going to get that watch." And three years later, I had that watch. Yeah, um, awesome. That's awesome. And and it, and it was not easy to get it. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 but, but also by getting that watch, um, uh, which is just like massive, similar to the watch I'm wearing now, but again, going back in time, you know, it's like, you know, a massive gold watch at the time I'm living in Bedford Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, which for those of you who don't know, it's not where you want to be wearing an 18 karat oh, no. gold <laughs> Rolex DMT, taking the sub, taking the subway on a regular basis. Um, but what I found to be really interesting while wearing that watch was that it was so audacious that no one thought it was real. Yeah. 
And so, so it was like it was like a really bizarre thing. It was like you know, like it's like walking around carrying a gold brick. No one thinks that you would possibly be <laughs> carrying a real gold brick. So no one's even bothering to look twice at it. So it was like a weird, it was like a weird um, sort of uh, uh, cognitive disconnection from <laughs> what was really in, in front of people. Like they didn't really get it. Yeah. Um, but I did. But I didn't feel terribly comfortable wearing such an expensive watch in you know just sort of like so casually. Yeah. Um, and it got me into sort of looking at other watches, and so I you know I, I managed to purchase a. Um, I don't, I don't know why the, the, the sub theme is here because although I love Submariners, I can honestly say I'm very interested in other watches. Yeah. Well, we can kind of, and we, we can kind of, we can kind of get into that. You like but what when you they, like when, though. Yeah. When, when, so when they released the, you know, the, 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 the Hulk, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I was able to get a Hulk in 2014. Oh man. Nice. Um, and, um, again, these are watches that I bought and sold by the way. I mean, some people are going to think I'm cr- going to think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I owned the Hulk for only a couple of years and then I sold it. Do I regret selling it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. hundred um, percent. Just this, you know, and there's no, no asterisk to that. Absolutely. Yes. I regret selling it. I was a fool. I was a fool. <laughs> I was a fool. Uh, but you know what? So, you know, life, you know, you move on. Hindsight's right? yeah. 2020, you, you know. You just move on. Yeah. You just move on. I'll tell you what I have my eye on, though. Um, so, um, so I've been, I've been, I've been looking at a lot of dive watches, which is sort of strange because I don't dive. And um, <laughs> like 99.8% of the people who own dive watches. Fine. <laughs> But if if I could if I could snap my finger right now and have you know there's a few watches that I would snap my finger not and they're not just based upon price but I love uh, Blancpain's uh, Fifty Fathoms yeah yeah it's cool the, the Aqua Lung there's a there's love. like a he has a vintage like 1950s Aqua Lung that you know it's like 37 millimeters fantastic size uh, if I could have that watch today I would get that watch. Um, you know, and I and I would try not to be precious about it. Yeah. Um. There just, been, but there's also been just a lot of great things that have come out in the past year that have me on the fence about like which direction I want to go. I mean, you mentioned Grand Seiko earlier, and you know, being in Japan, obviously, I think a lot about Grand Seiko. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. I mean, the the one Grand Seiko that is interesting to me right now. It's uh, it's called the Blue Snowflake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful watch. Um, and um, you know, I, I kind of just leave my mind open to these things. I mean, I, I realize that the price points associated with these watches, you know, it doesn't really make for a lot of like casual purchases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and wh- and while I might be speaking a bit casually about how I purchase watches. Believe me, there's been a lot of deliberation. <laughs> oh, for a sure. A lot of a lot of research, a lot of like, you know, late night cold sweats, <laughs> like like, am I really gonna do this? Am yeah. I am I am I am I crazy for doing this? Um, but you know, but getting my wife on board with my um uh, watch habits has been um really great. Um and she did something really sweet last year. So um, before I purchased the um, the Black Bay 58, she she saw that I was like really interested in getting a new watch. And at the time, actually, um, you know, I hadn't been wearing a watch for a while. And so she used all of her United points and got me a, uh, an Apple watch. 
Right? Oh, so, that's cool. You know, um, and I was like, you know, that's so sweet of you. She's like, yeah, I know you want to watch. And I know this isn't the watch you want, but I want to get you, you know, get you something. And she got me, you know, an Apple Watch. She wears it now because, you know, and now you can't get me to go through near the thing now. Right? now <laughs> Um, you know, she, she, it's, it's her, it's, it's back to her. It's been sort of been repatriated to yeah. the per, the person who originally purchased it. But, you know, that was, it was just a clear sign to me that she'd been looking over my shoulder and seeing what I'd been, you know, watching online, yeah. Yeah. you know, listening, listening to you guys in the car, <laughs> you know, watching talking watches episodes, yeah. um, you know, listening to, you know, Archie Luxury screaming in the middle of the night. <laughs> You know, like all, all, of these, all of these things that I that I do um, while I'm doing other things. Right. Um, and, and, it, and, you know, she just become, you know, quite encouraging that I should just, you know, just do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, um, you know, so so I, I've been also been looking at, you know, Breitling has this new uh, Breitling Heritage uh, premiere. It's like the B09 chronograph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, 18 karat gold. 18 karat red gold. They're um, thick, oh. but it is stunning. It's <laughs> yeah. so beautiful, but it, it it's a thick boy, like <laughs> and, for and, sure. And and let me let's talk about gold for a moment. Yeah, okay? <laughs> we're here for it. Let's <laughs> let's get well, yeah. Let's talk about gold for a moment. I know that gold is divisive, right? I know right. that there is a certain connotation that comes with gold, and you know, and and I get it. Right. You know, it's like because it is sort of written to our, um, you know, sort of collective uh, memory about, um, you know, wealth and um, and the and the stories we tell ourselves about wealth. Yeah. And robber and robber barons and all these other sort of like 80s, you know, like corporate raider. Right. Gordon, Gordon Gecko, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Five martini lunch, um, you know, kind of thing. And then it's also sort of like connected to this like end of life gift. It's like, John, you've been at the company for 45 years <laughs> and um, we're sending you off with a pension and a gold rule. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you exactly. know, and, and and I think that to me, I just, you know, I just upend all of that. Um, one, one is I love gold. So like full stop. I think I think that gold thing. I think gold things are beautiful, right? Yeah. Um. Would would I have a gold toilet? No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Do, do do I do I recognize like the crazy things that like you know you you've seen in the news over the years like all of these like you know dictators like what was it Saddam Hussein who had like a gold AK forty yeah. seven? You're like, okay, oh, like yeah, that's yeah. a little much. Cra- Come on. You know, crazy things. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that nuts. Yeah. Um, but I see absolutely nothing wrong with a beautiful gold watch, regardless of the brand. Yeah. Um, red gold, yellow gold, white gold. You know, all, all you know, fair game to me. Yeah. In fact, if I had it my way, and I could build a collection from scratch with money not being an object, I would get the gold version of every great watch, and that would be my yeah. collection. Oh wow. A baller, yeah. baller collection. Yeah. Every brand, e- every brand I love, every great edition they've made um, in gold, that would be my collection. Mm. Yeah. That's that's a pretty collection. I, I like the idea. I'm like, man, now what can I sell to get that solid gold Speedmaster? <laughs> I know. I want, the, I want the gold Speedy, too. I don't know. We can I'm have because it. That's yeah. like, share it. like we'll 18000 a piece. It's much more <laughs> practical that way. <laughs> 
because I also think I also think that gold tells a story, right? Um, and and it's a story that you know people they 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 like to talk oftentimes negatively about, but it's actually a story of like civilization and humanity for better or worse. It's yeah. a very interesting interesting part. And I'm a I'm an armchair armchair sort of historian um, history buff. Um, and, um, you know, in fact, uh, a friend of mine named Aaron Hall, uh, we're not really close friends, but he is a friend, a friend of mine named Aaron Hall, uh, published a book, um, on Audible about the history of gold. I think it was last year. And it's like a six part, very easy to listen to. Maybe you'll be done in like five or six hours. And he just talks about the history of gold throughout, oh, wow. you know, mankind, um, from, you know, distant past to, to modern day, um, you know, interactions with the substance. And I think it's absolutely fascinating. Interesting. We'll have to check that out. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Um, well, I, I do have another question just kind of regarding the crossover between what you do for work and, and watches as a curator of art, what brands do you feel, um, stand out to you that are, pieces of art to you because i i know if someone were to ask me i could think of just a couple of brands off the top of my head that i almost don't view as a watch brand because i feel like there's just pieces of art but i want to hear your perspective on that absolutely absolutely so um so (laughs) i love saying this word the Cartier Tortu Monopoussois. So, it's a, <laughs> yeah, so you so said Cartier, it very well. Yeah, we would butcher that. <laughs> so, so Cartier um, is a brand that um, I have my eye on uh, purchasing um, a Cartier, and particularly, um, you know, this this Tortu Monopoussois was sort of like. Uh, there's a, there's, there's, there's one sort of circa 2000 in white gold, you know, you, so, you know, back to the theme, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I, that I think is just the proportions, um, the, of the watch, the, the enamel, the dial, uh, the color choices, uh, it's just a subtle blue. Um, I could look at it all day. Mm. Um, and, um, and that, that's sort of like a, a, a important thing for me to be able to stare at something all day. I probably look at my watch for the time and other reasons um, far too frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, because it forces me to sort of like ask myself other questions um, about everything from beauty to, to hey, what time is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also um, really interested in, in longer. Um, I, there's, there's a data graph. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a big reference numbers person. Um, because yeah, we I aren't either. Far, yeah, you're fine. Far, far, <laughs> far, far, far too many numbers to remember. Um, but I think that, um, it's hard for, for, for longer to make a watch that I don't like. Yeah. Um, the movements. It's just so incredible. Yeah. A buddy of mine, a buddy of mine was wearing one um, last summer and handed it to me. And I just, you know, uh, again, just, just felt, I, it's almost like I fell into the movement. I, yeah. I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably still climbing out of the back of that watch in terms of just think, <laughs> thinking about, um, you know, whether or not I would um, purchase one. Um, you know, you know, there's, there's, there's so much there. I mean, um, there's also a, a relatively, you know, newish brand in terms of like people talking about it. Um, I believe it's a, a Naoya uh, Hida and Co, um, which, you know, a Japanese uh, independent brand. Yeah. Um, and that um, 
they only release a few watches a year, uh, but I'm also um, paying attention to them because I try to go in the other direction. I mean, I think that because I think the thing that that moves me away from Grand Seiko, for example, and I'm con- I'm about to contradict myself in a major way. It's so fine. Forgive me. So the thing that moves me away from Grand Seiko is the fact that I think it's an obvious choice for me being here in Japan. Okay. Fair. Right? Yeah. Um, and so if I'm going to buy a watch that's created by a Japanese company, I'm thinking that it wouldn't be a Grand Seiko. It would be something else. Um, now, that said, in terms of how I'm contradicting myself, clearly being you know an American entrepreneur who is wearing a Rolex sub isn't exactly, <laughs> you know, isn't exactly breaking the mold there. Right. But, um, but I like what I like, <laughs> you know, cri- criticism be darned. Um, you know, the, the other interesting thing is I've tried a lot of other watches. I, I, I bought an AP chronograph in 2018 and I just found it to not be the watch for me. I, I wore it. It was, um, it was just something about the bracelet mm-hmm. that didn't sit well on my wrist. Um, I, I felt that because they, the, uh, the links did not come in any sort of half sizes yeah. and the, and the adjustment on the class was very, very, um, you know, tight mm-hmm. that I either had to decide to wear it really loose or really tight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that just, you know, to me, for a watch that, you know, was that expensive and um, and 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 that great of a watch, to not have it sit on my wrist the way that I want it to sit on my wrist, I just couldn't live with that. So I ended up, you know, um, you know, swapping it for for something else. Yeah. Um. And and so, um, yeah, you know, so I'm not just I'm not just in one camp. And I'm very, I'm very interested in learning, um, you know, about new brands as I continue down this this path. You know, I met, for example, I'm Breitling is far from a new company, but, but Breitling's been one of those brands that I think I could, you know, I could probably say I've heard that other people say this. It's kind of going in and out yeah. of my uh, favor, you know. Um, and uh, but as I look at their new offerings, I'm finding them to be really, really compelling. Yeah. Um, um, the other thing I wanted to, you know, chat with you guys about um, that I've been hearing so much discourse around is this whole conversation about wrist size, right? <laughs> and, and 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 what and what is the proper wrist size for a specific watch? Uh, you know, I, I find it to be incredibly uh, strange that anyone thinks that they have the authority on that. Yeah, I know. I agree. Yeah. I agree. You know, it, it, I, I, watches are are genuinely like art, and the fact that it's all just it's all just opinion and perspective, and everybody's just going to have a different idea of what's beautiful to them and what what speaks to them. But but then you have people who who want to dictate. Oh, if you have a six and a half inch wrist or a seven inch wrist, you should not wear anything above forty millimeters. And it, it's so weird to me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's tied to um, well, people project a lot yeah right they project they project their own um well you know let let, let's be fair here you know i'm in the art world where people are judging things all day they're judging people they're judging things so i get it 
You know, one of the other hats that I wear, I'm a senior critic at New York Academy of Art. Oh, so you're a judger. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't understand why people judge things as I judge things. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, um, but, there, but there is an inherent difference, difference between someone um, placing something in front of you and asking you for your opinion uh-huh. um, than someone going around telling other people what they should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I readily recognize that most of the artwork that is out there in the world um, that would be considered great work or artists who would be considered successful artists, I will readily admit that I don't like most of it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, And, but my opinion about it, is not really relevant because, A, um, my opinion is informed by my own um, taste and education. And, and so uh, it's hyper-specific, um, what I like and, and what I don't like. And when I look at a painting, what I'm looking for are, are things that are very difficult to describe verbally. Yeah. Um, I have emotional guttural reactions to art that are very, very difficult to articulate. Um, I attempt to articulate them, but I happen to believe that I know when I'm standing in front of a great work of art. Mm-hmm. I, I know it. I feel it. Um, and, I, and, I, and I use that instinct to make decisions about the artists that I work with, the exhibitions that I curate, um, etc. I do not, however, spend any of my time going on artists' websites or going on their social media feeds and telling them <laughs> what's wrong, what's wrong with their, with their work. Yeah. Um, it's not my place, nor my passion, nor my purpose to do that. Um, how this relates to watches and what I find interesting is that people want to put rules. They want to put so many rules yeah. in, in the game, so to speak. You know, do, do I do I have a, a certain kind of reaction when I see someone, you know, let's say wearing a 44 or 45 millimeter watch that's dangling darn near halfway down their hand? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I think that's a strange choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's their choice. And I'm totally fine with their choice. It has no effect on me. Um and um, and I think a lot of the uh, the negative commentary around um, people's decisions about wearing certain size watches again, I think it's it's people trying to put rules um, into um, into something where the rules don't don't necessarily need to apply. It's like uh, in fashion, um, sure, someone might say to you that certain patterns um, don't really work well with one another, but we've all seen people pull off patterns that. That we know that we couldn't pull it off. Oh, exactly. Like, I, you, know, so, you know, but someone just, they just nail it by throwing all of the rules out of the window. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and lastly on that, I'll say, why, why create an additional barrier to entry to someone who's in love with this hobby or wants to come into it? Exactly. Who feels like, feels like their wrist is too big or their wrist is too small or they're, they're you know, it, it, to me, that should be absolutely irrelevant. Irrelevant. We're we're not we're not tying uh, we're not we're not trying on parachutes here, people. <laughs> it's not <laughs> life if, critical, right? <laughs> you know, if if the parachute doesn't fit, you have a problem. Yeah. If your um if your Grand Seiko 
is a little loose. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. It's, it's okay. You you're gonna you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> no, I love that. And that you know, that was a struggle for me when I first got into the hobby of, you know, feeling out like I needed to check off all these boxes because that's what everyone else was doing and that's what I was kind of told needed to be done. Gotta have a chronograph, you gotta have a diver, you gotta have, you know. Yeah. And I didn't really you know, it's taken several years for me to kind of find myself and find what I really like because it's very confusing. You're you're trying to figure out what other people think you should like and wear. And, you know, all these dudes on the forums telling me to look at the ladies' models and go to the ladies' forum page. And I'm like, I don't like those, though. The, those don't speak to me. And so, yeah, yeah it, you know, it takes time. And, uh, yeah, I wish more people would listen to your advice, Dexter. <laughs> well, well, um, well, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess in a way it, it is advice. I, but, you know, but I, but I try to, like, I, I tried not to give unsolicited advice because I know how much of an impact advice can have on people's decision making. <laughs> and I, one of my greatest fears is to give advice to someone and then they make a decision based upon my advice and it doesn't go well for them. And then yeah. they and then they have to like suffer the consequences of my advice. I'm willing to take all sorts of risks myself, <laughs> but I really, I really don't like advising other people to take any risks whatsoever. Yeah. I'll tell you like a funny story. People often will, will say to me, um, well, some of my friends will say this to me, oh, you know, um, you know, this person, I know they're, they're looking for like a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You should introduce them. I hate introducing uh -uh. <laughs> like, I, I, Because if I, it doesn't I, work I, out, it's somehow my fault. <laughs> I, I hate it. But here's what's funny. Here's what's funny about that. My wife and I met because of a blind date. So, you know, I'm my my hat the hat the joy and happiness in my <laughs> life is is based upon someone introducing me to someone. So, <laughs> I'm just a I'm just a ball of contradiction. Um but but I but I embrace that too. I em I embrace my contradictions. Yeah. Oh, you know you you said something that had me thinking. Oh, what? I'm going to make a prediction. So I don't give advice, but I love making predictions. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so that's the funny thing. Um, so don't take my predictions as advice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I predict that ladies' models across the board are incredibly undervalued. And because of the, the crazy overvaluation of men's sports models and other watches, that sometime in the next five years, there's going to be a run on certain models of ladies' watches. Oh, and absolutely. That the prices, I would agree. And that the prices are going to start creeping up because they're out there. They're, they're, a, a lot of those ladies, I, you know, I'm referring to them as ladies' watches because that's the industry right, terminology. Right, right, right. Look, don't don't come at me, bro. Like, I'm not, I'm there not, were air quotes involved you know, when you said ladies' yeah, watches. Right. So <laughs> air I'm quotes not, take you. You're you're cool if you use air quotes. It's fine. Yeah, I'm not I'm not making up these terminologies. I'm just using the available words to express my idea. <laughs> Spoke spoken spoken like a true wannabe attorney. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, so. If you think about it, um, a lot of those ladies' watches um, are are beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of them are some of them are not. Let's be clear. You yeah, know, I, I know that some of them. You just look at them and you're like, Who, what? Who? What? Yeah. Who's this for? Like, what? What are you thinking? You know, um, but some of them, some of them are actually, um, you know, great. Just you know, they're, they're just a different proportion than mm -hmm. the men's version, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, um, mechanical women's watches will have a moment 
across the board no. in the next five years. Yeah. A pricing, mo- a pricing moment. I, I, I definitely agree. And especially because now you do have such a common trend amongst watch collectors, not necessarily brands. A lot of brands do smaller sizes, yes, but like it's really in the collector community that you see going down. So you have 36 millimeters is like the hottest size right now, you know, and, and what gender of watches do you see in 36 millimeters more than ladies watches yeah. um i mean you look at the, the brightling a brand that you you've spoken highly about several times now brightling has those new chrono what are they the chronomats ladies watches that have like these really pretty pastelli dials um or even the new the new uh super oceans mm-hmm. or or heritage forget what they were but they they were a collection of ladies watches and you see in the comments all the time man i wish this wasn't labeled as a ladies because i love this the dimensions are perfect the size is perfect and i feel like you're going to start to see more and more i feel like you're going to see brands get away from saying it's a ladies watch they'll call a watch a man's watch but i feel like you're going to see brands get away from calling like larger watches ladies because they they'll realize that you could capitalize on both a male and female market by producing a 36 38 millimeter watch even if it's in a more fun color even if it has diamonds men mm-hmm. like that so yeah. i think i i completely agree i saw yeah absolutely i saw someone i saw a, a woman wearing a um a rolex smurf maybe seven or eight years ago white gold blue dial blue bezel mm-hmm. um 40 millimeter watch and she was killing it. The oh, watch man. just looks so, so awesome on her. So this whole idea of what women can and can't, shouldn't, shouldn't wear, it's just, to me, it's all baloney. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I like that word baloney. <laughs> baloney. <laughs> it's, 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 it's malarkey. Um, can, can, we, <laughs> can, we, can we talk a little bit about um, that Seamaster? So, so one of you had the, um, was it the James Bond? Yeah. Cat yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. No time yeah. to die. So, yeah, yeah. So, so I had my eye on that watch. Um, I think it's a beautiful watch. I mean, I, 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 I've never uh, had it on. Um, but what? Can you just tell me a little bit more about like your your experience with that watch? Like, what was uh, you know? My experience like? is actually funny because when that watch first came out, I was not overly in love with it, and I think we probably talked about that on the podcast. Probably. Neither of us liked that watch. <laughs> Well, and and it had nothing to do with Bond because I'm a Bond fan. Um, I just I don't know. Maybe it was the Fotina. I think was what it wasn't my well, favorite. That was when we we were also very anti titanium watches. Anti titanium, so the brown, the Fotina. Yeah, yeah. it's just a lot. And I oh. I've seen it several times now through other people. Um, went to the Omega boutique here in Nashville and. Um, saw it again and it's just kind of been in the back of my mind it's just like ah, oh, that's actually a pretty dang good watch and um I've, i had my submariner but i still I'm, I'm just such a diver fan i love dive watches and um it was so contrast to the sub because the sub is shiny and new and and the omega is not like it's new and it's it's got a great finish on it but it looks vintage. It's like having a, a brand, like a new old stock vintage watch. That's what it feels like to me. Um, and yeah, I just, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. And Bond or not, I, I would buy it again in a second. And um, yeah, I love wearing it. Yeah, it, stri- it strikes me as a beautiful, a beautiful watch that, um, 
you know, if I if I'm if I'm able to, I will own one day. Um, I feel like it's just a piece that I would like to have in my collection, even if I only wear it once a month, yeah. um, once a week. Um, it's just something that, and I, I love the Bond connection. So I, you know, I'm, I'm just one of those people that I don't I don't get too caught up in the whole idea of like, uh, you know, uh, purity around you know branding and and whether a tie-in with a, a hot property like James yeah. Bond diminishes the value of something. Um, I think if it's executed well, mm-hmm. it's it's all fair game. Yeah. Um, and and I think that that watch um, appears to be executed um, rather well. And and because I'm a big Bond fan as well, I have absolutely no problem with it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 absolutely on my radar. <laughs> um, you know, I, I you know, it's two other things that I've been thinking about as I'm talking to you yeah. um, guys and. One of those things is this whole limited edition, um, <laughs> you know, craze. Because now, as I think about, I think about that that watch and its connection to James Bond, and sort of like how that dovetails into the conversation around limited edition. Absolutely. Um, I'm not really big into limited editions for the sake of scarcity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I I think that if a watch is 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 well executed um, and priced. At a point where I I feel like is reasonable for me, um, then whether there are a thousand of them in existence or five thousand or mm-hmm. fifty thousand of them, to me that's not really an issue. Right. Um, I I definitely have almost pulled the trigger on watches just because of scarcity, and I'm realizing, yeah. wait, do I re- do I really love this watch? Mm-hmm. Was it because I've just kind of been roped into the fact that there are only 500 of them? Exactly. Yeah, if you don't buy it right now, like you're never going to have the opportunity to get yeah. it again at retail. Yeah, right, right. Um, but I, but I, but I've had to, you know, but I've pumped the brakes on that um, because I don't want to watch it. I don't want to wear just because I have like one out of 500. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, you talked earlier about really, you know, agonize or not agonizing, but thinking through your decisions on purchasing a watch. I know Catelyn agonizes when she, she has to buy a watch, but we're all that way. And I think there are people that aren't that are able to make a split decision. They go look at a watch. They know immediately if they want it or not. Mm-hmm. And for those people, they can look at those limited editions really quickly and decide. But for us, it is so hard because yeah. I like to think about it. I like days to think about this watch. And um, a lot of brands, obviously, you know, they'll put it up same day. And there's, you know, you don't you don't have much time to think about. Um, we've kind of praised Houdinki recently for at least like giving somewhat of a preview of the watch before yeah. it actually, hit. I mean, it's minutes, it's not days, but still it helps. Yeah, it's like a couple of hours. <laughs> like they, they'll post photos of it a couple of hours beforehand. Yeah. And, and I, I like that, that like it gives people an idea of what they're, what they're actually getting. And, yeah. you know, it gives people the time to really decide because it, it's very frustrating when you think. You know, when you hop in, there's a lot of hate towards limited editions right now. And like a lot of these smaller brands, you know, they have issues with websites crashing and things like that. So people don't get the watches. And, you know, there's a lot of frustration because there's really no perfect system to do it. Mm-hmm. Like the the Omega, the Speedy Tuesday. OK, that watch came out at four o'clock in the morning U.S. time uh, in Tennessee. Uh, you know, the United States was just such a big Speedmaster market. You know, most of the California, it was 2 a.m. They didn't see this watch until it was already gone and sold out. And it caused a lot of 
bad taste for the brand and things like that because it's not fair to everybody. If you're going to be a worldwide brand, you need to make your watches accessible to everybody. And it's very, very frustrating. And I think that you see a lot of brands like I know Omega now doesn't do limited editions. They quit doing that. They do, you know, what they call limited production. So like the James Bond watch, it's not a limited edition watch. It'll be produced for X amount of time. You know, mm-hmm. probably, obviously, by the time the next James Bond watch film comes out, there'll be another watch, whatever. Yeah. So it'll be something different. And I have much more respect for that than for, like, oh, you had, there's only going to be 1,969 of these Apollo whatever <laughs> watches, and you better hurry up and jump on there. And, yeah, it just it sucks. And th- there's no great way of doing it. And it just leaves a l- There's so much frustration, and I can understand why there is so much frustration limited editions. Dexter, do, do, yeah. you, do you own any limited edition watches? No, I, I, I've, I've steered clear of it. I, I think that um, there's a collector for that. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, and I definitely get, I get the, I get the appeal um, being, you know, someone who also, you know, I don't consider myself a, 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 a full on art collector, but I do own um, a, a relatively, I'm trying to find the right right words here uh i own i own some art (laughs) yeah um but i don't consider myself like a capital c art collector but i do i do recognize the joy of having something that you know um either no one else has or um very few people have i I get i get the appeal but for me i to me the overriding factor is whether or not it's a good watch Mm -hmm. um and if it's if it's not really a great watch or it's not saying anything terribly new, but the only thing that it's really screaming is that there are very few of me, so you better get me. <laughs> um, that that doesn't really offer enough of a compelling reason uh, for me to buy the watch. I'd rather have a fantastic watch that I love looking at, even though I may every once in a while run into someone wearing either a similar model in a different material. Or what have you, because you also get that camaraderie of the nod. Just uh, just yesterday, I was in a cafe um, here um, uh, getting some coffee and and I don't you know, I'm learning Japanese. I don't I don't speak Japanese fluently by any by any means. But a Japanese guy in the in the uh, cafe was wearing a, a stainless steel sub and oh, wow. he saw my he saw my sub and he <laughs> said, beautiful sub, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I looked at his watch and I said, beautiful sub. And, you know, and that was just like a moment of like, hey, you know, we we were on the same wavelength. And it yeah. would have happened if we were wearing a Grand Seiko yeah. or if we were wearing Cartier or if we were wearing, you know, longer. It doesn't matter. It was just like that that moment of, of, of bonding. And while that's not necessarily apples to apples to the whole question around limited editions, mm-hmm. I think that limited editions, they play a vital role in brands being able to create excitement. Yeah. And I, and I get and I get that. But I'm not. I'm not the customer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I'm. I'm a different. I'm a different kind of uh, collector <laughs> or, enth- or enthusiast. Um, you know, for that matter. And and I'm also still. You know. Uh, you know. To call it a journey. I'm also still on the journey. Right. I um. I, I have a. I have a philosophy. Um, so for a guy who doesn't like to give advice, I also have, I have, a, lot of predi- <laughs> have a lot of predictions and a lot of philosophies. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so, so one of my um, philosophies is that for me, um, when I purchase a watch, and I even feel this way about art, I want it to be a little painful. 
not 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 so painful that I like I'm thinking about how I'm gonna pay my bills. I'm not talking <laughs> about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. Right. I I I wanna I wanna feel it. Yeah. Like I I want to I want to I want to uh, have a reaction, emotional reaction to the purchase based upon the desire for the object and also the price that I'm paying for. And that's and yeah. that's that's specific to the person. Right. Like so everyone has their own thresholds around like for some people, it's five hundred dollars. For Some people, it's five thousand. For Some people, it's fifty thousand. Some people, it's one hundred thousand. Believe you me, for me, it is not one hundred thousand. Um <laughs> Um, but you know, but when it is a hundred thousand that day, when it is a hundred thousand, it'll be, it'll just be like, oh, I could comfortably buy a watch for this amount. But if I spend just a little bit more <laughs> to get the thing I really want, it's going to hurt me a little bit. It's going to be a little painful, Yeah. but the joy of, but the joy of having it, it's going to be a little bit sweeter. Yeah. Right. Nice. Because if I go all the way back to 2000, when I purchased that Oyster Perpetual, uh, that was more money than I probably wanted to spend <laughs> on that watch. But by doing it, it really like forced me to have a different kind of relationship with the object. Yeah. And again, I get, I see the other side of it. Something does not have to be expensive to bring you joy. Of course. Mm-hmm. It does not. It doesn't have to bring you pain to bring you pleasure. I'm just simply saying that for me, a way that I get um, a kick out of this hobby is also by pushing the boat out just a little bit further. Yeah. Just a little bit further. Like, because the things I have my eye on now, some of them are very attainable. Like, I could, I could, I could get them, you know, now, probably if, if they're available. But the things that I'm secretly pining for, Oh, they're painful. <laughs> oh, oh, it, oh, it would be, it would be, um, it would be something. Yeah. <laughs> it would be something. It would, it would, it would, it would be a, a mark of my arriving at a place in my life that I have been trying to get to. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's awesome. amazing. I, I feel the same way. I think sometimes the things that kind of scare you are the things that, you know, stand out and are the kind of the the most exciting things in your life too. Um, yeah. Whether it's a job, whether it's a watch or whatever, um, I, that feeling that you're talking about, it's always kind of good to have. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and with that, with that, you know, there comes the anxiety of having this object. Yeah. Right? You know, absolutely. And, and being so, and being so precious about it. And I've had, you know, I've gone through all of the emotions around that. Um, I remember when I, it's just it's a funny story, or at least funny to me when I got married, um, you know, and I started wearing a wedding band, you know, first time in my life, I've only been married once. Right. And so this wedding band that I'm wearing, it's the first piece of, uh, you know, like jewelry or ring in my adult life that, you know, it's wearing. And I remember being so precious about it. Oh, really? When I, when I first started wearing it. Um, I remember going to the beach and wondering, should I be wearing this? Is, is it going to, you know, like, is the sand going to damage it? Uh, will it, will it accidentally slip off my finger into the ocean? Like all of these things that you, you know, you, you, you have around an object right. that you've, you've imbued with all of this emotion. Um, and then I, I realized that I was actually taking all of the joy away from it by yeah. being so precious about yeah. it. Like, like, I'm never going to resell my wedding band. So who cares <laughs> if I like, you know, as long as I don't lose it, it's all good. You're good. Yeah. Right? right. And that's the other interesting thing about 
about gold. I mean, it can always be repaired. I mean, it's just it's just a very malleable metal. And with the exception of like utterly like like I don't know, throwing it in some industrial strength shredder, it can always be, you know, repaired and yeah. just, you know, to, to some extent, right? So I like removed all the preciousness around that. Now how it relates to watches, I definitely in the past have been one of those people who you get that first scratch and and it's like almost <laughs> like a, t- a tear. Yeah. Almost a tear. <laughs> comes to your your eye and 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 like the you know as the story goes each subsequent scratch gets easier and easier Mm -hmm. to deal with right um but but i but i then i but then i decided that if i'm going to if i'm going to buy something for my own pleasure which is the only reason i'm buying it there is there is there is no other reason then i'm not going to erase that pleasure by being hyper neurotic mm-hmm. about um, do I do I like seeing like polishing my watches and looking at them? Yeah, sure, sure. I'll, I'll nerd out. I'll be I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Yes, I, I do have those secret moments where I'm like, oh wow, I own this thing. Yeah. Look, at that. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> but um, but also letting it age and go through its processes is is something that I think is uh, is part of it. Yeah. Um, I also think that listening, so so listening to people talk about this has also been therapeutic. Yeah. Like I've listened to you guys talk about Aww. that first that first ding, <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not alone. I'm oh, not alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like you know, um, you feel it. But then I but then I also realized that I don't want to polish my watches. So yeah. so th- so therein lies the conundrum. Mm-hmm. Like you you can't have a thing. Wear the thing, get up, get up, get upset when the thing gets scratched, but then at the same time, never actually want to have it polished. Yeah, yeah. So you you never you'll never polish any of your watches. You think if I can avoid it, I know yeah. that there are some some ads or or places where they'll just like do it without your permission or asking you. Yeah. So I'm very I'm very concerned about that. But you know, but the watches I have now, you know, no one's ever worn them. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, as I introduce new pieces into my collection, I will buy, you know, watches that have been worn. Sure, sure. I have no problem with that. Yeah. I have no problem with pre-owned. I have no problem with vintage. I have very few problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but um, but once I have it, I want to take it from there. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Fair. Yeah. For sure. You know, and if I can avoid polishing it, I will. Um so I can just look at the stories that it tells about all these weird adventures. You know, I've been wearing this Rolex sub um, almost every day for the past couple of months, give or take. I'll swap it out with the Tudor every once in a while. And you only only have one rule with this watch. Just What's only that? one rule. It does not go to the beach. That's the one rule. Why is that? It doesn't it doesn't go to the beach. The Tudor, the Black Bay 58 goes to the beach all the time. <laughs> yeah. This this watch doesn't go to the beach because um it's 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 just like um that's an environment where I don't want to be thinking about a really expensive watch yeah. where it is. Yeah. yeah. But I just I, I if I take it off like it, it's too it's too complicated. Yeah, if you to take, take it, it to off to do something, you don't want to have to worry about you've just left this incredibly expensive yeah. gold watch sitting it, there. Yeah. It, it's just too, it's it's it would be it would be silly of me 
to have to tell the story of how I lost my gold submariner because I took it to the beach and left it in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 worse, or worse, it ended up being thrown away with the, the lunch the lunch we ate that uh, day. Oh yeah. Oh that hurts. I didn't real I didn't realize that that thing was in that bag. I will dumpster but, dive every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It, it's it's so that that's so that's that's the one rule. But other than that, Fair. you know, um I'll I'll wear I'll wear it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I I yeah, it hurts me thinking about some of those horror stories I've heard from people whether they were just swimming in the ocean or you know, on a boat and their watch fell and I'm just like Oh, I have a new fear in life. I was having a conversation with somebody and he was talking about like he just planted the littlest seed and now it's like a full blown forest in my mind, in my imagination is what happens. We live in the South during the summer. You just kind of like, well, not today's summer, like it's too hot, but roll the windows down, rest your arm out your car window. And what happens if a spring bar fails? Or your class breaks. Randomly? But I think about that with my Grand Seiko because of the way the clasp is. Like, what happens if it just, like, it's my new fear in life. Like, now (laughs) I don't like to drive with my windows down anymore. You have to have your arm out the window. But, yeah. Keep all limbs inside the vehicle at all times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, but but, but I think think that all of these concerns are are warranted. but, but I'm what I'm trying to get to the place I'm trying to get to, and it's a very philosophical place for me, um, is to have things free me and not restrain me. Yeah. And and I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning that process. You know, there are days that are that you know. This sounds like therapy. There are days that are worse than others. <laughs> <laughs> Today was a was a good day, but you know, yesterday not so much. Well, I think that there there's freeing you, but then there's also there is the the uh, the responsible side of you that knows, like, okay, you're not going to take a solid gold watch somewhere where you're going to have to take it off and leave it sitting in a bag, you know, next to all your stuff or and stuff like that. Like there there will always be even if it was for me even if it was like a tutor or or anything. Like I just, you know, unless it's like a G-Shock, I would have a lot of concern of just like leaving something sitting around just because like no, I'm not I'm not necessarily tied to it like this watch doesn't own me, but it is still like it's an expensive watch and I just want to make sure, you know, I'm a responsible adult, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, totally. Well, Dexter, this has been an awesome interview. <laughs> yeah, this has been fun. I feel like we've just been, I mean, I I feel like we've just been having a great conversation. It doesn't even feel like we're, we're I'm, I've hit the record button or anything. This is not like our normal interview yeah. still, like, uh, which is great. <laughs> feels yeah, like we're talking I, you know, to a friend here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, well, that, but, but you know, I, as we come to the, the end here, I, I will say this, you know, um, all of the the different personalities that um, exist in this in this hobby, in this space that we're in. Um, so listening to podcasts yeah. like yours over the past year and a half has really helped me make it through um, this this crazy period of time to, to engage with things that are not about the pandemic or politics or any of those things. And, you know, and not as a distraction, um, because it would be easy to say, well, you know, your, your watch hobby is a distraction from 
other aspects of life. Mm -hmm. It's really more to say that it's been another layer, uh, something that's been more fulfilling, um, something that's added another dimension to my life and and things that I'm interested in, um, more so than to say that it's been a distraction from politics or distraction from the things that are quote unquote more important. I think a full life is about having a variety of interests. Mm -hmm. Uh, A full life is about knowing a variety of different kinds of people. And so um, this hobby has been a way for me to do that. And so I, I, uh, you know, so I really enjoy it, not just for the watches, but also, you know, for that aspect of it as well. That's incredible. Yeah, I love that. Well, we again, we we thank you for coming on. We had a great conversation and please do keep in touch. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from your your journey there in Japan. Yeah, uh, that sounds amazing. But um, where can people, you know, find find your work, the work that you're doing? Do you have a website or anything like that? Yeah, sure. So um, I do have a website. Um, it's just DexterWimberly.com. Okay. I- I don't update my website as much as I update my Instagram. Uh, surprise there, right? Um, <laughs> you mean you're not uh, updating your website three times a day? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so the, so the best way to really stay on top of what I'm doing is to follow me on Instagram. And it's just at Dexter Wimberly. Okay, cool. And um, yeah, you know, and as as I get involved in other things, I'll, I'll flag them on my Instagram and certainly on my website. And yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just encourage people to, you know, be in touch and, um, you know, let's keep talking to one another and, yeah, and let's keep, definitely. you know, um, like, you know, like uh, enjoying this thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm down. For sure. Most definitely. <laughs> well, Catlin, you want to yeah, take us we'll, out? Yeah, we'll have everything linked uh, on the website, all of the the things that we talked about today with Dexter at www.tennantu.com. Be sure to follow us along on our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ten and Two Media. And I think that's it. Dexter, it's been so fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. I was really looking forward to talking with you, and I'm very, very happy that we did this. Yeah. Well, bye, everybody. Bye.